Our second reading is back in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 24 to 48. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come to me. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent by the people of Israel, preaching, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all of the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and beloved God, who is the source of our belovedness, 
who is all that is, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of this day and for the gift of this word, of your word, especially when it challenges us or expands our understanding of who we are, of who our neighbor is, and of who you are. We thank you for the gift of this life, of this community, of this day. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. So as I mentioned a little while ago, I've been and will be this summer kind of moving through the book of Acts, both at this time in the world, but particularly at this time in this congregation. It feels helpful to revisit what happened in the earliest days of those who were seeking to follow Jesus. I would say the early days of the church, except it wasn't really even the church yet. It was just people trying to follow Jesus, trying to follow the way that he had laid out. And I love this passage, especially for that reason, because if there were ever a moment to pause and say this was not yet the church, it feels helpful that as we're looking at this interaction between Peter and Cornelius, that Peter, it was explicitly the church, the religious institution of the time that was actually prohibiting Peter in that brief moment on the roof from stepping into his call. So I want to take just for a moment a little bit and offer a little bit of context for what's going on. Um, because it's interesting, in, in a lot of ways this story makes no sense. And certainly for Peter and Cornelius, it was a little surprising. It would not have made sense for a Jew and a Gentile of that particular time to be interacting. In fact, it was illegal. But I love that even as the story is starting and Peter has his dream, it's noon and he's on a rooftop. Why is he on a rooftop in the Middle East at noon? That was the hottest time of the day. People would often sleep on the rooftop at night because it was cool there. And yet it strikes me that it's interesting that was just a sort of interesting note of like, why was he up there? It's got to be hot. It's got to be hot. So Peter is stepping away. He's stepping away to have a moment of prayer, of introspection, of rest. He's also hungry and tired because this was a chaotic time. There was a lot moving, a lot going on. So Peter goes up and he has this profound vision now, this vision, just for context, as y'all probably can pick up on, or if anyone is familiar with this story, probably knows, this sheet being lowered down from heaven that has all of these animals on it. This is representative of all of the things that Jews were taught to stay away from. They were ritually unclean. The law is very explicit in different, in different spaces, a lot of different spaces, about what kind of food to eat, what kind of food not to eat, how to prepare that food specifically. Now, that was for a whole ritual practice that the Jews had handed down that kept them alive as they moved through the wilderness, but also maintained their sense of religious and spiritual identity. It maintained their connection with the divine. When they mentioned the, the circumcised believers, that's talking about the Jews. That's talking about people who were Jewish. That will come up later when we talk about Paul gets into all of that. Circumcision, uncircumcision. Luckily, we don't have to talk about that today. But as we're so as Paul is having, or Peter, pardon me, is having this vision, right? It shakes him. It shakes him so much that he says, Lord, nah, I'm not going to do that. Now let's stick with that for just a moment because this is Peter. 
This is Peter, y'all. This is Jesus' best friend, right? The one who denied him three times and then was forgiven by him three times, who literally saw the risen Christ ascend into heaven. And he's saying, nah. Right? Now, I'm tempted at this moment to say, come on, Peter. I mean, come on. You know better. Don't you know by now? But I think that this story points to just how deeply those ideologies were implanted in him. Just how powerfully they had a hold over him. So much so that even when this profound vision of a sheet coming down from heaven is there and this voice from heaven is saying, no, Peter, this is not unclean, that he is still questioning that voice. Now, what I love about this is that you have Peter here in this moment who is having a question. It's almost like a faith crisis with the very divine, the words of the divine literally speaking to him. Now, while we could give Peter a hard time for this, I think it is instead inviting those of us who have been religious, who are interested in being particularly devout in our religious following, our devotion, to say, hold on. Hold on, it's okay that you have questions when God is sending you to unfamiliar places. Even Peter did. It's okay to have questions. God can work with those questions. Because Peter says, hold up, God comes three times. It's like, I'm going to actually show you this enough times. Three is a significant number, bringing together the Trinity, right? But it's also three is significant. Completion. Jesus rose after three days. Cornelius shows up after four days, so you've got even completion, and then one more. But it's significant. God is like, I'm going to show you this enough times until you get it. I'm going to tell you enough times until you get it. It doesn't say God is frustrated with Peter. It doesn't say God is annoyed. It doesn't say, my gosh, Peter, why can't you get this? Instead, God says, I'm going to show you again. You're still not going to get it. I'm going to show you again. I'm going to show you as many times as you were forgiven by Jesus. I'm going to show you again. You do not need to be afraid. And I love also Peter here in contrast to Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is a new believer, right? He's that person, realistically, he's been following a couple years, right, at this point. Very new. He's a Gentile, so he has converted and started following Jesus, following the way of Jesus. And he's got that fire and gusto and excitement, And yet he also has this wild vision. I also want to lift up the way in which the messenger shows up. This dazzling white light again. We see that so often at the resurrection. It happened with Ananias a couple weeks ago. It is here. These messengers from heaven, these moments of transcendence, these energy presences that are just there. And so for Cornelius, what I love though is he's like, all right, that's a little weird, but I'm I'm here for it. So he sends his people off immediately. Peter and Cornelius are both getting these affirmations from the divine. Peter has this little hiccup moment, which is legitimate. And then he keeps on going. He says, okay. And he trusts it enough that he actually follows for those days. He lets these people into his home, and then he goes into Cornelius' home and says, you know that it is illegal for me to be here, but I'm here anyway because I know and I trust, because I was shown three times, I was given enough affirmation. 
to know that I'm supposed to be here. But then he's like, so what do you need? What I love is that he follows, he doesn't even know why he's being called. So I do want to give that moment of affirmation to Peter. And that once he got there, he got there. And that's what I love about Peter, is that once he gets there, he's there. But he keeps having to get there with different things. That is an invitation for all of us. If Peter can do this, so can we. If Peter can do this, so can we. He is very explicitly human. He says that here. I love that exchange for the same reason. They want to worship Peter. He's like, no, 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 no. No, we are all human together. I am just as human as you. So you have in this story these two very human men who get to have this very profound, I would say, divine interaction, divinely orchestrated interaction. And they trust and they follow. And we are here today having this conversation because they did. They broke the law. They broke their own religious practices. Peter went against thousands of years of ritual practice following and said, no, I'm going to instead trust this voice. And they're enemies when you start the story how they see each other, how they understand and experience each other. I wouldn't even say just enemies, because like Cornelius is already, he's sort of moving. He would have seen Peter as an enemy previous, but maybe he's on board. And it's not even that Peter sees Cornelius as an enemy, but that he sees him as ritually unclean. It's like, no, I can't even interact with you as an enemy, because I can't actually deal or interact with the spaces, because it will separate me from God. And God is saying no. So it's almost like more than an enemy. But there he is. As I take this story today and I think about where we are in the world, where we are in the world, I think this story is, is actually kind of a balm for me. And I say that it is a balm because it gives me this reassurance that God is here and is moving and is going to invite me into some very uncomfortable spaces. And that with that, I will get to see and experience more of the divine. And I will get to see and experience more of the divine's blessings for me. And that's the case for all of us. But what does that mean? What do you mean uncomfortable places? I'm uncomfortable enough, don't you know? So here's the thing is that letting ourselves be led through these uncomfortable spaces is actually the thing that leads us into the more comfortable trust of knowing that God has got us. These are the most uncomfortable places, certainly, that Peter could have thought himself to have been led. It goes against everything he knew, even so much that he asked the question after seeing all that he had seen. This is more deeply ingrained. And yet that religious devotion that risked losing sight of God was, to, was also healed. His religious devotion was healed. But how could our religious devotion be healed? If we get stuck only in following the rules, if we get stuck in only following the rules to such a T, we risk thinking that those rules are actually the divine. Those rules, those ways that the Jews learned how to live, the law was laid forward so they could survive together in the desert, in the wilderness, and identify and keep themselves together as a people. They were the gate into an experience of the divine. We do not worship the gate. The gate is a ticket inside. 
And if the gate is the thing prohibiting us from getting inside, then we need to consider getting rid of the gate or asking God to remove the gate. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything specific. I think for us, in our own individual circumstances, we all know those gates, those barriers, those things which tell us there is absolutely no way that God can move here. So I'm going to tell you, God can move everywhere because God is everywhere. There is absolutely nowhere that God is not because God is all that is. But what does that mean for us on a practical level today? Well, I think for me what it means, and what I think it means for a lot of us, is that we have this beautiful invitation to sit down with people we don't agree with, to sit down and to break bread with those who scare us, to sit down and break bread with those especially whom God has told are unclean. I had this really beautiful memory that kept coming up as I thought about this story this week. For several years, I worked for an organization called More Light Presbyterians. And More Light works around LGBTQ advocacy within the Presbyterian church and with faith communities more broadly. And this was probably in about 2017. I got an email from Bobby Holmlippert, who was at that point a pastor of Grace Covenant Church. And he reached out, he got connected to me through somebody else. But when Bobby reached out, it was because there was a young person in their congregation, a middle schooler who had come out as transgender. And Bobby felt out of his depth. You know, he was from a much more conservative background in his own sort of lived experience and just felt like he was really unsure about how to support this young person, but knew that he needed to support this young person. And so he got connected to me, and so Bobby and I met, and we sat down, and we started talking about ways that he could support this young person, and we started talking about really just our own lived experiences, and then we started talking about scripture, and we started talking about our faith journey, and we started talking about how we knew and understood the experience of God as God had moved through us and in that conversation. And as we were leaving, I'll never forget it, Bobby stopped and he kind of laughed, And he said, you know, God sure does have a sense of humor. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Can you say a little more about context? And he said, you know, when I grew up, like growing up in the church where I grew up, more light was always seen as the enemy. And it really shouldn't have been that way. And I said, you know what, Bobby? In the church where I grew up, more light was also seen as the enemy. And it shouldn't have been that way. And what happened then after that was that Bobby, a couple weeks later, I reached out to kind of check in and see how the young person was doing and how he was doing. And I had what I can only sort of call kind of one of those nudges from the Holy Spirit when she just says jump, and I felt like I should jump. So I wrote to Bobby and I asked, checked in about this young person, and I I asked if he would like to read scripture with me on a regular basis. So would you like to get together and read scripture? He said, sure. So that for the next couple of years until he moved to Texas, Bobby and I got together and read scripture together on a regular basis. And it was really amazing. I won't get get into all of the things that sort of rippled out from that or different relationships that sort of formed in that. Because I want to focus on what a beautiful connection I was able to have with this person whose lived experience had been different from mine, yet also fairly similar. Who I would have been scared to have talked to at points in my life. And yet who instead I had this beautiful opportunity of a gift, of a relationship, and of a bridging of the gap, of that perceived space that was between us, when in actuality was not. 
Friends, it is easy to look around these days and to perceive people as our enemy, especially when we do not agree with them theologically or politically. It can be easy to be afraid of what other people are going to say or do to us. But I want to tell you today that there is no enemy. There is no enemy. There is no enemy. There is no other. There is no evil waiting to take you over. There is goodness. There is connection. Any ideas that you may have about someone being an enemy are ideas that are planted there and they are loud. I'm not minimizing that, right? Again, Peter was afraid. Peter was unsure. It's okay to be unsure. It's okay to say, I don't understand. God will bridge that gap, but you got to be open to it. So as you go through these days or these weeks, as you have moments when you get afraid, when you get frustrated, when you get certain that there is no way that God is moving through that other person, I would invite you to remember Peter and Cornelius. Remember their courage, also their questions, their willingness to trust that that other person whom they had perceived as their enemy was actually the very connection point for them to understand more about the holiness in the world and in themselves. And that in them doing so, they literally changed the world. And so can you. There is no enemy. God shows no partiality. God loves you. God loves me. God loves those we would perceive as other. And God wants us to know that they are our neighbor. That they are us. And that we are all so deeply loved. Amen.